Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Fundamentally Mormon, part of the Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. Today we're going to be reading chapter 17 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 168 to 179. The title of the chapter is called Jesus the Rabbi. After we're done with the reader portion of the program, we'll do the reading and commentary. The reader portion of the program is 23 minutes long. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. And there will be a blog, a uh, chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Here we go. Jesus, the Rabbi, Chapter 17 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 168 to 179, there was a man of the Pharisees, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night, and said unto him, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God. John 3, 1-2, to understand the nature and mission of the life of Christ, one must first understand the lineage, traditions and the religion into which he was born. History has accurately confirmed his birth, childhood, and adult life in a Jewish society. He honored Jewish laws, he taught in Jewish synagogues, and eventually became a Jewish rabbi. His life's mission was dedicated and foreordained to be a part of the Jewish society and the events of his life were ultimately fulfilled according to prophecies in the tribe of Judah. Unlike other nations, the tribe of Judah was distinct in its moral and physical laws. The purpose of cleansing or purifying the body and soul was for dedication and preparation for that Messiah, who would be born through that sacred lineage. When the great prophet Jacob bestowed a patriarchal blessing upon the heads of his twelve sons, Judah was given the distinction of receiving the promised lineage of this predicted Redeemer. See 169, Genesis 49:10. The Eden habits were restricted by spiritual laws to purify the blood, and marriage laws were jealously observed by the Jewish community to prevent any contaminating values and ideals. Every Jewish woman lived with the hope and desire of being honored to bear the chosen Messiah or Savior of the world. At the age of 12, Jesus was found in the temple talking to the learned elders of Zion. He was telling them that he was about his father's business, which was teaching, instructing and counseling and dash not carpentry work, as some modern divines teach us. But there was a particular reason for the delay in the actual ministry of Jesus. 
we read that it was not until he was about 30 years of age that he organized his church. This indicates that he was complying with one of the laws required to fulfill the office and calling of a rabbi among the tribe of Judah. When Jesus was 30 years of age, he was baptized, fasted for 40 days, and then began his teaching career as a rabbi. Compliance to Jewish laws, regulations and rules was absolutely necessary, or the high priests and Pharisees would have legal reasons to reject him in their councils. Jesus knew this, and warned his disciples to carefully obey the law because they sit in Moses' seat, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. Matt 23, 2-3 The chief priests and council of the Pharisees were continually using lawyers in their attempts to trap Jesus for violating even the most minute laws of the Hebrew nation. Jesus however, could recite the law in his own defense, and by the same law often condemned them for their infractions of that law. 170. It should be noted that Jesus was often called Rabbi. For a better understanding of that title, we refer to the Jewish explanation. Rabbi, the Hebrew term used as a title for those who are distinguished for learning, who are the authoritative teachers of the Lord and who are the appointed spiritual heads of the community. The function of the rabbi at the Talmud was to teach the members of the community the scriptures and the oral and transitional laws. For the first position, the rabbi was elected by the leaders of the community. For the second, by the members of the judiciary. While the third position was a matter of duty imposed upon the rabbi by the very law he was teaching. The Jewish Encyclopedia, Volume 10, 294. The title of Rabbi justly applied to Jesus, both as to the office and the respect that went with it. With that official title, Jesus could teach wherever and whenever he was impressed to do so. As a rabbi, he taught thousands on the mountainside, by the seashore, and in the synagogues. On one occasion he used the whip in the temple and overturned tables, leaving a very impressionable lesson. Furthermore, if Jesus was not a rabbi according to that Judaic legal system, he would have immediately renounced the title. His chief apostle, Peter, often called him Rabbi, Mark 9, 5, 11, 21, but received no word of correction from Jesus, indicating that the title was properly applied. When Jesus was called Rabbi by Judas, Matt 26, 25, 49, and by Nathanael, John 1, 49, 171, and the other disciples, John 1, 38, 431, 9, 2, 11, 8, he acknowledged the title without dispute. Great masses of the people also called him Rabbi, see John 6:25. And when Nicodemus, a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews, acknowledged Jesus as rabbi, it was conclusive evidence that Jesus was indeed a Jewish rabbi. Jesus lived through a constant barrage of attacks against his birth, character, authority, doctrine and the law. If he had been guilty of neglecting the law on any point, it would have given his enemies their greatest advantage to dispute his claim.
Yet if Jesus had lived a celibate life, as most clergymen teach today, it would have been the most powerful weapon to prove that Jesus was not the promised Messiah. It was against the traditional and scriptural law for a rabbi to remain single. Jesus could avoid this pitfall only by obeying the rabbinical law of marriage. Celibacy is by no means a virtue among the Jewish people. Indeed, it is for this reason that many Jews cannot accept Christianity. Said Rabbi Hirsch, Now as the life of Jesus is pictured in the New Testament, there are certain peculiar defects in that life, from the Jewish point of view. His teachings are the ideal teachings of Judaism. They are not new teachings, nor new revelations. They are confirmations of Jewish thought and life. But his personal life and dash I am speaking respectfully. I do not think anyone should think I cast any shadow on the beauty and perfection of that life. But I can take it as it is, 172, picture and dash you know he was not married and from the Jewish point of view, that is a defect. The Jewish morality insists that a man who does not assume the social responsibility for the continuation of society, lives a life that is not complete. My religion, Rabbi Mill Hirsch, New York, 1925, p. 43-44, in the Jewish society, both ancient and modern, marriage is a sacred and compulsory law. It was strictly observed and a wedding was considered a time for rejoicing, when performed at a very early age. Every Jewish man should marry at 18, and he who marries earlier is more meritorious. The Shalchan Erej, Ibn Hazel 1, 3, since the Mishnah fixes the 18th year of one's life as the age of marriage, a man unmarried after this time is in many communities, regarded as not having conformed with inviolable tradition. Jewish Ceremonies and Customs, William Rossini, p. 155. Marriage was firmly implanted in the minds of all Jewish men. However, it was most rigidly observed by those who complied to the laws and offices of rabbi and priest. Jewish law required a high priest to be married on that day of atonement. And so important was this law that in the case of some unforeseen circumstance, an extra woman was held in readiness for the marriage. Marriage on the day of 173 atonement was a prerequisite for entering the sanctuary. Paul wrote that Jesus was the great high priest who would make atonement for all men. Since one of the laws of the high priest office was marriage, then every priest including Jesus had to comply with that ordinance to fulfill the obligation of that office. Also, Paul wrote in an epistle that Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Heb. 9. 24. Now if the law required a high priest to be married so he could enter the holy place, which is a figure of the true, then how much more demanding would be the requirements of the Messiah, who was that great high priest, who stood in that holy place. When Jesus was asked about marriage and divorce, see Matt. 19, 3-6, 
He supported the law of Moses, and also the first law of marriage given in the Garden of Eden. This gave a tenable sanction to that law, both to the Judaic nation and everyone else, including himself. Under the Talmudic law, a man was not considered worthy to be called righteous if he did not marry and have children. How could Jesus support the marriage law with words, yet denounce it in his own life and still be called righteous? We have nothing written in the Bible about Jesus from the age of 12 to 30. This was the part of a man's life when marriage and the raising of children were obligatory and would have given us the account of his family. That book, or history, is 174, missing, like many other parts of the Bible. From the age of 12 to 30, a gap of 18 years, the only piece of information on the life of Jesus is that he grew in wisdom and dash an extremely insufficient record in the life of one so important as the Redeemer of the world. John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, said the words and deeds of Jesus were sufficient to fill libraries. John 21:25. from his testimony, we can be sure that much more occurred in the life of Christ than is contained in the brief history of the four Gospels. It is almost certain that any information recorded of his younger life would have informed us that Jesus was married. Wouldn't it seem very strange, if not inconsistent, that the Good Shepherd would lead mankind by his perfect example in all things, except marriage? Is it possible that Jesus would command, advocate and quote the laws of marriage, but reluctantly, and without valid excuse, refrain from obedience to them? Reason, evidence in the scriptures all prove that he taught and obeyed every law of the gospel. How could Jesus say, follow me, as a perfect example of righteousness, and remain single and dash thus obligating everyone else to be single? believe such a doctrine would overthrow every law ever given concerning marriage, and Jesus did not do that. If Jesus was a bachelor, he would have justly been condemned by the Pharisees. They would have mentioned it many times, and it would have been a major reason for them to refute his claim to authority, and to condemn his veracity as a teacher. Recent manuscripts found in QUMRAN and other excavations have introduced further information to substantiate Christ's marriage. In the Gospel 175, according to Thomas, there are significant references to the marriage of Jesus. Log 22. They less than the disciples greater than said to him, Shall we then, being children, enter the kingdom? Jesus said to them, When you make the two one, less than one flesh and dash or marriage greater than and when you make the inner as the outer. And when you make the male and the female into a single one, less than married greater than, so that the male will not be male and the female less than not greater than be female. Then shall you enter less than the kingdom greater than. Log 114, Simon Peter said to them, let Mary go out from among us, because women are not worthy of the life. Jesus said, See, I shall leave her, so that I will make her male, less than one in marriage greater than that she too may become a living spirit, resembling you males. 
for every woman who makes herself now will enter the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel according to Thomas, P. 57. Coptic text established and translated by Aga Lormond, etc. 1959. And in another apocryphal manuscript called the Gospel of Philip, Log 32, there were three who walked with the Lord at all times. Mary his mother and her, his sister of Magdalene, whom they call his consort. For Mary was the name of his sister and his mother and his consort. Consort, one, a husband or wife. The World Book Encyclopedia Dictionary, 1966, 176, log 55. And the consort of Christ is Mary Magdalene. The Lord loved Mary more than all the disciples and kissed her on the mouth often. The others too. They said to him, Why do you love her more than all of us? The Saviour answered and said to them, Why do I not love you like her? The Gospel of Philip, P. 35 and 39-40 Translated from the Coptic text with an introduction and commentary by R. Michael Wilson, B.D., Ph.D. London, 1962 In the commentary of this book, Dr. Wilson quotes Peter as saying, We know that the Saviour loved you more than other women referring to Mary Magdalene, and he quotes Levi as saying later, he loved her more than us. Even many other known books of the New Testament are missing, such as an earlier epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. I call 5, 9, another epistle of Paul to the Ephesians. If 3, 3, an epistle of Paul from Laodicea. Colt 416, a former epistle of Jude. Jude 1, 3, prophecies of Enoch. Jude 1, 14, because great portions of the story of Christianity have been lost, discarded, or altered, the true facts are difficult, if not impossible, to find. And to these hazy scraps of history have been added dogmas, rituals, and the traditions of men. The voices of Catholicism and Protestantism are repeating the error of this historical patchwork of human creations. 177. Throughout the centuries of time these celibate traditions evolved into church law, and that law, in turn, was advocated as historical fact. The real facts remain like a skeleton of the original structure of Christianity. So aloof from the real truth by these traditions that facts appear strange, if not erroneous, when brought to light. The history of the marriage law of Christianity is not valid, because it has evolved through centuries of traditional customs, philosophies, and man-managing, especially through channels which have corrupted almost every other doctrine and ordinance of a sacred gospel. The laws of the marriage covenant have become as perverted as any other part of our religious history. Through the traditions and assumptions of men, celibacy became not only an accepted doctrine of the church for men and women, 
but even for Christ. Celibacy had no recognition within the scriptures. Ancient Jewish law and early Christian law sanctioned and required their disciples to obey the marriage covenant. If the apostles fulfilled the law of marriage, it is only reasonable to assume that they were obeying that law by sanction and direction of Christ. And though Jesus gave and instructed his disciples in all of the laws of the gospel, including marriage, it is most unreasonable that he would neglect or refuse to obey that law himself. Marriage was a union so sacred and spiritual in its nature that man and woman were to become one flesh. Genesis 2.24 Matt 19.5 This inseparable union 178 is spiritually illustrated by comparison with Christ to his church if 5.30 God has given a multitude of laws and commandments concerning marriage, but none restraining marriage. Rather, he restricted anything that would break the bonds of marriage. Among the perils to marriage was the doctrine of celibacy, which was never acceptable in ancient Israel, no, in early Christianity, but rather a doctrine of pagans. It finally became incorporated into Christianity, but was not a part of it. By its nature celibacy contributes little to the quality of the character in a man and dash much less in a woman. Fruitfulness is God's law of nature. Barrenness leads to extinction. Celibacy had soon become such a dominant law of the apostate church, that it required hiding the scriptures from the lay members. Such confusion and interpolation of the scriptures were fertile fields for superstition and the perversion of true history. Under the influences of Greek Gnostic thinking and Roman laws, the principles of Christianity suffered worse than it did through the centuries of barbaric persecution. From among these amalgamated substitutions for the gospel came out time-honored traditions. They were so far from the original teachings that when the scriptures were exposed to thinking people, it caused a great reformation. Paul the Apostle foresaw the apostasy of Christianity and warned the members of the church about it. Celibacy, among other things, he said, was a doctrine of devils. See 1 Tim 4, 1-3 Jesus Christ never omitted fulfilling a single law of God. It would not have been his privilege to obey one law and neglect or reject another. Only the 179 apostate priests of today believe they can do that. Fundamentally the question is not, what proof do we have that Jesus was married? But rather, where is there any proof that celibacy was ever a doctrinal law of God? The first commandment given to man was the law of marriage for the purpose of multiplying and replenishing the earth. Jesus never condemned it nor did he have a right or reason to refuse obedience to that divine law. 180, Chapter 18, Jesus and the Law of Moses Okay, so we'll get into the commentary portion of the program now.
I'll read it and give any commentary that I might have. Uh, before I get into the reading, I just wanted to talk about something. Um, a couple weeks ago, I did. I stopped the um, reading for two episodes where I read the novel Expositor over the course of uh, two days. And I find it interesting that on page two, column four of the Nauvoo Expositor, William and Jane Law testified and gave legal affidavits to the fact that Hiram Smith read them a revelation which sounded very much like section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants, and that was in April of 1844, and then in June of 1844, they published uh, complaints in the Nauvoo Expositor which talked about these type of things. And what I also find interesting is that later in life, after the revelation had been published to the church, William Law saw what Brigham Young presented and said, that's not the revelation that Hiram read to me that that is a lot more than what Hiram had he said that Hiram presented a revelation that was about two pages long but that the revelation that Brigham Young gave to the church was about eight or nine pages long which had many things added to the original revelation that William and Jane Law had had seen and read and that Hiram presented to them in April of 1844. So I just wanted to throw that in there with the whole discussion about polygamy with these people who claim that Brigham is the one that wrote the revelation. Well, we have evidence that it was actually read to Jane and William Law who were in the present... I think presidency, first or second counselors. Of course, Jane Law wasn't, but, you know, she was his wife. And they actually broke with Joseph Smith over the whole polygamy thing because they hated it, and they were trying to expose the fact that that the church leaders were going in that direction. So... Anyway, and then, um, like I said, um, Nauvoo, the Nauvoo Expositor was published in early June of 1844, and um, you can read it. Uh, in fact, you should read the whole thing, but if you're looking for those affidavits which were signed um, and testified to, and then there was other people who also testified to Hiram reading that revelation to them, it's on page two, column four, and it's under the uh, the subheading affidavits. So, um, also with myself, um, when God showed me why polygamy was important, it had to do with the sealing of men and women and the fact that there are many more uh, elect women who qualify for the higher blessings than there are men and that they have to be sealed a man to a woman and if everything was perfect it would be it would be one woman and one man but things aren't perfect Brian Hells 
in a fair conference uh, talked about statistics in the church where in 2009 there were 127 females for every 100 males. Well, if you extrapolate the number and you go up, um, by the time you get to 6 million males, there is, I, I can't remember what the exact number was, but it was over a million more females in the church. I think it was like 1.7 million females in the church by the time you get up to the point of, you know, 6 million males. And, of course, there's many, many more millions in the church than than that. You know, there's more than 14 million in the church today. I think there's 16 million. So I don't know what the exact numbers are, but it's just there are many more women who are qualified to receive their exaltation and have higher blessings, but they cannot do it without the men. And if the men, if there are fewer men than women who qualify for those blessings, God allows plural marriage. So anyway, uh, and I've talked about this before. It has to do with the uh, sealing by the Holy Spirit of promise and the intelligence, how the intelligence was both masculine and feminine before it becomes self-aware, and when it becomes self-aware, um, the feminine and the masculine energy separate, and you have the birth of a male and a female spirit. So, all right, let's get into this uh, this chapter, Jesus the Rabbi, chapter 17 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 168 to 179. There was a, nam, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by, by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God. John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. To understand the nature and mission of the life of Christ, one must first understand the lineage, traditions, and religion which many are which he was born. So my two-year-old is trying to talk to me. So I don't, I'm not going to have a whole lot of help this week with doing the program, so I'm trying to record it. So this program will be tonight, and today is Monday, uh, February 14th. So I'm trying to record it now before I get too tired and I have to go to bed. So, and my... <laughs> my wife is trying to talk and she thinks that the recording can hear her but she's on the other side of the room anyway she was just saying you know everybody's trying to get ready for school and for work so they're trying to be quiet but my wife is actually doing my daughter's hair right now so <laughs> so if there's any like noise in the background it's just because I am a family man and this is not my full-time profession. I drive a semi-truck, as many of you know, for a living. And this is um, a service that I do. I don't ask for people to pay me. Um, I don't even monetize my videos or my podcasts. Um, but God has given me a lot of information. 
uh, through visions and dreams and through personal interaction. And so he's told me to be bold and to teach the people. And part of my job is to deliver doctrine to people who are ready for the meat of the gospel. They who have been weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast, as is spoken of by Yeshiyahu or Isaiah in chapter 28, where it talks about the one mighty and the strong going among the drunkards of Ephraim. So, anyway. Alright, getting back into the reading. To understand the nature and mission of the life of Christ, one must first understand the lineage, traditions, and the religion into which he was born. History has accurately confirmed his birth, childhood, and adult life in Jewish society. He honored Jewish laws, he taught in Jewish synagogues, and eventually became a Jewish rabbi. In fact, his life's mission was dedicated and foreordained to be part of the Jewish society, and the events of his life were ultimately fulfilled according to the prophecies in the tribe of Judah. Unlike other nations, the tribe of Judah was distinct in its moral and physical laws. The purpose of cleansing or purifying the body and soul was for the dedication and preparation for the Messiah who would be born through that sacred lineage. When the great prophet Yehov, or Jacob, bestowed a patriarchal blessing upon the heads of his twelve sons, Judah was given the distinction of receiving the promised lineage of this predicted Redeemer. See Genesis, or Bereshit, chapter 49, verse 10, or on page 169, for those of you who are reading along. Their eating habits were restricted by spiritual laws to purify the blood, and marriage laws were jealously observed by the Jewish community to prevent any contempt contaminating values and ideals. Every Jewish woman lived with the hopes and desire of being honored to bear the chosen Messiah or Savior of the world. At the age of 12 years old, Yeshua, or Jesus, was found in the temple talking to the learned elders of Zion. He was telling them that he was about his father's business, which was teaching, instructing, and counseling not carpentry work, as some modern divine, divines teach us. Actually, it's interesting, the earliest uh, manuscripts talk about him being a stonemason, not a carpenter. I don't know who changed that, but I believe that he had a trade, but that was secondary to what his true mission was. Continuing on, well, actually, i got to say this too. Um, Joseph of Arimathea was one of the high priests of the leadership during that time in the Sanhedrin, but he had a business that he made money on, you know, trading tin, and he would go up beyond Hadrian's Wall up into Scotland and bring tin down for um, metalwork. Metal so um, I don't know what all of the people did, but I believe that... Um, unless they were Levites, they had other jobs that caused them to be able to support themselves and their family besides their theological ministries. 
So I don't see why that would be a problem for Jesus to do the same thing. Anyway, continuing on. But there was a particular reason for the delay in the actual ministry of Jesus. We read that it was not until he was about 30 years of age that he organized his church. This indicates that he was complying with one of the laws required to fulfill the office and calling of a rabbi among the tribe of Judah. And I'm just going to let Ogden explain this to you, but I know that what Ogden's talking about is correct. When Jesus was 30 years of age, he was baptized, or mikvahed. He fasted for 40 days, and then he began his teaching career as a rabbi. Compliance to Jewish laws and regulations and rules was absolutely necessary or the high priests and Pharisees would have legal reason to reject him in their councils. Jesus knew this and warned his disciples to carefully obey the law because they sit in Moses' seat. Um, All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. Matthew chapter 23, verses 2 and 3. And so Moses' seat was where the rabbi would sit down and he would read the Torah scroll. And then he would get up and teach from what he read. Well, when Jesus said, observe what they bid you to do or what they tell you to do, from Moses' seat, he's only saying that you should hear what the rabbis say when they're reading the Torah not what they stand up and then what they teach after that or what they do after that. Because the Jews had a ton of, of mitzvot that they added to the law to, um, to put guards around the Torah as they thought needed to happen. And there was many things that they added, even though in Devarim or Deuteronomy it says not to add to or take away from the law, but they were famous for this. Anyway, but another thing, too, um, part of Yeshua's ministry as a rabbi meant that he had to be married. And in fact, men who remained single as a bachelor were considered worse than murderers because they wouldn't have children, and those children wouldn't have children, and those children wouldn't have children, on and on and on and on and on. And that for a man to remain celibate and withhold his seed from a woman meant that he was murdering generations. And that was a serious, uh, serious crime among the, the culture and tradition of the Jews. So he had, to been, he had to have been a married man. Anyway, continuing on with Ogden Kraut's writing here. The chief priests and councils of the Pharisees were continually using lawyers in their attempts to trap Jesus for violating even the most minute laws of the Hebrew nation. Jesus, however, could recite the law in his own defense and by the same law often condemn them for their infractions of that law. So we know that Joseph of Arimathea, who was in the Sanhedrin, was a very learned man, and he was the great uncle of Jesus. And I'm pretty sure that Joseph of Arimathea actually had a lot of, you know, 
influence in Jesus' life. Also, his uncle was Zacharias, who was the high priest of the temple. Miriam, or Mary, and even his stepfather, Joseph, they were all part of the, the religious structure of that day. And Jesus was very learned in the understanding of the Torah and the laws of God and the tradition of the Jews. So, of course, he had a great understanding also because he had revelation, a lot of revelation. Eliza. So, anyway, we're on page 170. It should be noted that Jesus was often called rabbi. For a better understanding of that title, we refer to the Jewish explanation. Quote, Rabbi, the Hebrew term used as a title for those who are distinguished for learning, who are the authoritative teachers of the law, and who are the appointed spiritual heads of the community. The function of a rabbi of the Talmud was to teach the members of the community the scriptures and the oral and transitional laws, or the, um, what is it called, the Mishnah, the Talmud, all of that fun stuff. For the first position, the rabbi was elected by the leaders of the community. For the second position, or for the second, by the members of the judiciary, while the third position was a matter of duty imposed upon the rabbi by the very law he was teaching. And quote the Jewish Encyclopedia, volume 10, page 294. The title of rabbi justly applied to Jesus both as to the office and the respect that went with it. With that official title, Jesus could teach wherever and whenever he was impressed to do so. As a rabbi, he taught thousands on mountainsides, by the seashore, and in the synagogues. One on, on one occasion, he was used to on one occasion he used a whip in the temple and overturned the tables, leaving a very impressionable lesson. Furthermore, if Jesus was not a rabbi, according to the Judaic legal system, he would have immediately renounced the title. His chief apostle often called him rabbi, Mark chapter 9, verse 5, also Mark chapter 11, verse 21. But he received no word of correction from Jesus, indicating that the title was pro- uh, properly applied. When Jesus was called rabbi by Judas in Matthew chapter 26, verses 25 and, and 49, and by Nathaniel in John chapter 1, verses 49, and the other disciples in John chapter 1, verse uh, 38, chapter 4, verse 31, chapter 9, verse 2, and chapter 11, verse 8, he acknowledged the title without dispute. Great masses of the people also called him rabbi. See John chapter 6, verse 25. And when Nicodemus, a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews, acknowledged Jesus as a rabbi, it was conclusive evidence that Jesus was indeed a Jewish rabbi. Jesus lived through a constant barrage of attacks against his birth. 
his character and his authority, the doctrine of the law, if he had been guilty of neglecting the law of any point, it would have been it would have it would have given his enemies their greatest advantage to dispute his claim. Yet if Jesus had lived a celibate life, as most clergymen teach today, it would have been the most powerful weapon to prove that Jesus was not the promised Messiah. It was against the traditional and scriptural law for a rabbi to remain single. Jesus could avoid this pitfall only by obeying the rabbinical law of marriage. Celibacy is by no means a virtue among the Jewish people. Indeed, it is for this reason that many Jews cannot accept Christianity, said Rabbi Harshi. Quote, Now as the life of Jesus is pictured in the New Testament, or the Brit Hadashah, there are certain particular defects in that life from the Jewish point of view. His teachings are the ideal teachings of Judaism. They are not new teachings nor new revelations. They are confirmations of Jewish thought and life. But his personal life, I am speaking respectfully, I do not think anyone should think I cast any shadow on the beauty and perfection of that life, but I can take it as it, as it is uh, pictured. You know, he was not married, and from a Jewish point of view, that is a defect. The Jewish morality insists that a man who does not assume the social responsibilities for the continuation of the society lives a life that is not complete. End quote. My Religion by Rabbi Emil Hershey, New York, 1925, pages 43 and 44. In the Jewish society, both ancient and modern marriage is a sacred and compulsory law. It was strictly observed, and a wedding was considered a time for rejoicing when performed at a very early age. Every Jewish man should marry at 18, and he who marries earlier is more meritorious, according to the Shalachan Arak. Um, by Ibn Hazir, volume 1, page 3. Since the Mishnah fixes the 18th year of one's life as the age of marriage, a man unmarried after this time is, in many communities, regarded as not having conformed with, with inviolable tradition and quote Jewish Ceremonies and Customs by William Rosenau, page 155. Marriage was firmly implanted in the minds of all Jewish men. However, it was most rigidly observed by those who complied to the laws and the offices of a rabbi and a priest. Jewish law required a high priest to be married on the Day of Atonement, and so important was this law that in the case of some uncertainty unforeseen circumstance an extra woman was held in readiness for the marriage the marriage of the day of the atonement on the day of atonement was a prerequisite for entering the sanctuary 
Shaul, or Paul, wrote that Jesus was a great high priest who would make atonement for all men. Since one of the laws of the high priest's office was marriage, then every priest, including Jesus, had to comply with that ordinance to fulfill the obligation of that office. Also, Shaul, or Paul, wrote in his epistle that Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but unto heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. Now, if the law required a high priest to be married so he could enter into the holy place, which is a figure of a truer, then how much more demanding would the, pre- would the requirements of the Messiah, who was the great high priest who stood in that holy place? When Jesus was asked about marriage and divorce, see Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 and 6, he supported the law of Moses or the Torah and also the first law of marriage as given in the Garden of Eden. This gave a tenable sanction to that law both to the Judaic nation and everyone else including himself. Under the Talmudic law, a man was not considered worthy to be called righteous if he did not, have, if he did not marry and have children. How could Jesus support the marriage law with words, yet denounce it in his own life and still be called righteous? We have nothing written in the Bible about Jesus from the age of 12 to 30. This was the part of a man's life when the marriage and the raising of children were obligatory and would have given us the account of his family. That book, or history, is missing, like many other parts of the Bible, from the age of 12 to 30, a gap of 18 years. The only piece of information on the life of Jesus is that he grew in wisdom, an extremely insufficient record in the life of one so important as the Redeemer of the world. John the Beloved, disciple of Jesus, said the, the, word, the words and deeds of Jesus were sufficient to fill libraries in John chapter 21, verse 25. From his testimony, we can be sure that much more occurred in the life of Christ than is contained in the brief history of the four Gospels. It is almost certain that any information recorded of his younger life would have informed us that Jesus was married. And in fact, um, if you want to read a really good book on that, it, um, Ogden Kraut, his first book that he ever wrote, was called Jesus Was Married, and he goes <clears throat> over these details. And, and you can get more into it by reading that book at ogdenkraut.com. And I've covered that book as well on my programs. But... Um, it's a really good read that people are interested in, in knowing more and diving in more into that. But anyway, continuing on. Wouldn't it seem very strange, if not inconsistent, that the Good Shepherd would lead mankind by his perfect example in all things except marriage? 
Is it possible that Jesus would command, advocate, and quote the laws of marriage, but reluctantly and without valid excuse, refrain from obedience to them? Reason, evidence, and scripture all prove that he taught and obeyed every law of the gospel. How could Jesus say, follow me, as a perfect example of righteousness, but remain single, thus obligating everyone else to be single? To believe such a doctrine would overthrow every law ever given concerning marriage, and Jesus did not do that. In fact, Jesus actually lived the law perfectly. He fulfilled Torah. And what does it mean to fulfill Torah? It means that you live it perfectly. If the rabbi says you are fulfilling Torah, that means you are living it perfectly. If Jesus was a bachelor, he could have justly been condemned by the Pharisees. They would have mentioned it many times, and it would have been a major reason for them to refute his claim to authority and to condemn his veracity as a teacher. Recent manuscripts found in Qumran and other excavations have introduced further information to to substantiate Christ's marriage. So he's talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls. In the Gospel according to Thomas, there are significant references to the marriage of Jesus. Log 22. They, speaking of the disciples, said to him, Shall we then, being children, enter, enter the kingdom? Jesus said unto them, When you make the two one, one flesh or marriage, and when you make the inner as the outer, and then you make the male and the female into a single one, or in other words, married, so that the male will not be male and the female not female, then shall you enter the kingdom. In Log 114, it is written, Simon Simon Peter said to them, Let Mary go out from among us, because women are not worthy of of the life. Jesus said, See, I shall lead her, so that I will make her male, meaning that they were one in marriage, that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every woman who makes herself male will enter into the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel according to Thomas, page 57. So this is talking about men and women being married and sealed together in the marriage union and becoming one with each other. Coptic text established and translated by Guillemont, I guess. And that was published in 1959, so I think that's all part of the Dead Sea Scrolls. In another apocryphal manuscript called the Gospel of Philip, in Log 32, there were three who walked with the Lord at all times, Mary his mother, and her, or his sister, and Magdalene, or Mary of Magdalene, whom they called his consort. For Mary was the name of his sister, his mother, and his consort. So there were three Marys. 
basically it's saying marry his mother, marry his sister, and marry his wife. Um, consort means a husband or wife, according to the World Book of Encyclopedia Dictionary, 1966. So we're on page 176, and we're at 69%. In log 55, the consort of Christ is Mary Magdalene, or the, the wife of Christ is Mary Magdalene. The Lord beloved Mary more than all the disciples and kissed her on the mouth often. The others too. And then, so there's a bunch of dots here. One of the problems with the Dead Sea Scrolls and other ancient manuscripts is um, bugs will eat it. There'll be um, destruction of the text. So whenever we see and when we're reading the Dead Sea Scrolls, for instance, and there's a bunch of, um, there's a missing part, it's because that part, we don't have it. Anyway, but so um, the others two, and then we don't have that part. And they said to him, why do you love her more than all of us? The Savior answered and said to them, why do I not love you like her? And that's in the Gospel of Philip, page 35, 39, and 40. Translated from the Coptic text with the introduction and commentary by R. Mikhail Wilson, B.D., Ph.D., London, 1962. In the commentary of this book, Dr. Wilson quotes Peter as saying, We know that the Savior loved you more than other women, referring to Mary Magdalene. He quotes Levi as saying later, he loved her more than us. Even many other known books of the, uh, the New Testament are missing, such as an earlier epistle of Paul to the Corinthians, see 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, another epistle of Paul to the Ephesians, which is talked about in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3, an epistle of Paul to Laodicea, See Colossians chapter 4 verse 16, a former epistle of Jude, see Jude chapter 1 verse 3, and the prophecies of Enoch which are talked about in Jude chapter 1 verse 14. Because great portions of the story of Christianity have been lost, disregarded, or altered, the two facts are difficult, if not impossible, to find. And to these hazy scraps of history, have been added dogmas, rituals, and the traditions of men. The voices of Catholicism and Protestantism are repeating the error of this historical patchwork of human creation. Page 177. Throughout the centuries of time, these celibate traditions evolved into church law, and that law, in turn, was advocated as historical fact. The real facts remain like a skeleton of the original structure of Christianity. So aloof from the real truth are these traditions that facts appear strange, if not erroneous when brought to light. The history of the marriage law of Christianity is not valid because it involved it evolved through centuries of traditional customs, philosophies, and man-managing, especially through channels which have corrupted almost every other doctrine and ordinance of the sacred gospel. 
the laws of the marriage covenant have become as perverted as any other part of our religious history. Through the traditions and the assumptions of men, celibacy became not only an accepted doctrine of the church for men and women, but even for Christ. Celibacy had no recognition within the scriptures. Ancient Jewish law and early Christian law sanctioned and required their disciples to obey the marriage covenant. If the apostles fulfilled the law of marriage, it is only reasonable to assume that they were obeying the law by sanction and direction of Christ. And and though Jesus gave and instructed his disciples in all of the laws of the gospel, including marriage, it is most unreasonable that he would neglect or refuse to obey that law himself. Marriage was a union so sacred and spiritual in its nature that man and women were to become one flesh, according to Bereshit or Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 and also Matthew chapter 19 verse 5. This inseparable union is spiritually illustrated by a comparison with with Christ to his church in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 30. God has given a multitude of laws and commandments concerning marriage, but none restraining marriage. Rather, he restricted anything that would break the bonds of marriage. Among the perils of marriage was the doctrine of celibacy, which was never accepted in ancient Israel, nor in early Christianity, but rather was a doctrine of the pagans, and it finally became incorporated into Christianity, but was not part of it. By its nature, celibacy contributes little to the quality of the character in a man, much less in a woman. Fruitlessness is God's law, or I'm sorry, fruitfulness is God's law of nature. Barrenness leads to extinction. Celibacy had soon become such a dominant law of the apostate church that it required hiding the scriptures from the lay members. Such confusion and interpolation of the scriptures were fertile fields for the superstitions and the perversions of true history. Under the influence of Greek Gnostic thinking and Roman laws, the principles of Christianity suffered worse than it did through the centuries of barbaric persecution from among these amalgamated substitutions of the gospel came our time-honored traditions. They were so far from the original teachings that when the scriptures were exposed to thinking people, it caused a great reformation. Paul the Apostle foresaw the apostasy of Christianity and warned the members of the church about it. Celibacy, among other things, he said, was a doctrine of devils. See 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through, 1 through 3. Jesus Christ never omitted fulfilling a single law of God. It would not have been his privilege to obey one law and neglect or reject another. Only the apostate priests of today believe they can do that. Fundamentally, the question is, what proof do we have that Jesus was married? But rather, where is there any proof that celibacy was ever a doctrine, doctrinal, doctrinal law of God? 
The first commandment given to man was the law of marriage for the purpose of multiplying and replenishing the earth. Jesus never condemned it, nor did he have a right or reason to refuse obedience to that divine law. So, uh, phone lines are open now if anybody wants to call in, and we will be going over chapter 18 tomorrow, which is Jesus and the Law of Moses. A guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. Thank you for listening. Okay, I'm at, can you hear me? Yeah. I, I'm getting back into my truck. Cool. Oh, man. Just trying to get into my truck here. So I got right. this lady on Facebook that is telling me that I'm silly, that Jesus is never married, and that the Essenes were celibate. Let me read it real quick. She says, and I I told her to call in, but she didn't call in. So this is Maria. She says, this is jacked up and not historically accurate. Firstly, there is no evidence Jesus was married. Secondly, Jesus never held the office of the high priest of Judaism. He wouldn't have been eligible for such an office. He was of the tribe of Judah not Levi. And thirdly, there were a number of Orthodox Jews. Emmett, you are not muted. Thirdly, there were a number of Orthodox Jewish sects that that were unmarried and remained celibate, like the Essenes. Emmett, mute your mic. Sorry. And thirdly, Kim, I uh, unmuted you. So Anyway, and thirdly, there were a number of Orthodox Jewish sects that were unmarried and remained celibate like the Essenes. So it's nonsense this was required of all Jewish rabbis. It's not nonsense. When they attacked Masada, where the Essenes were, they found that the people who were up there, when they built the ramp, the Romans built the ramp, they got up on Masada, they found men, women, and children of the Essenes who had all um, committed suicide rather than be taken captive by the Jews, I mean by the Romans. Furthermore, the rabbinical Jews that were fighting Jesus would have brought it up and told him how horrible he was if he wasn't married because that was a requirement among Orthodox rabbinical Jews, such as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So I posted this uh, thing to Maria talking about, well, the whole book, Jesus was married. And uh, instead of reading it, she says, this is silly. This is the same opinion from the same cult 1969 years after Jesus was on the earth. History doesn't change just because you don't like the opinion. Furthermore, when Rome hijacked the church, not only did they, uh, they like, use the pagan holidays to cover up the Jewish holy days, but they also made the priests celibate, which was a practice of, of paganism in Rome, not of Judaism. And Jesus Christ was a Hebrew Israelite. Furthermore, 
in order for him to keep the full law, which he did perfectly, he had to be married, or he wouldn't have kept the law perfectly. I, anyway, I said, um, I am live right now. Um, let's hear you defend your opinions. But, uh, uh, yeah, she hasn't called him because, uh, you know, they who are in the dark do not like the light, I guess. Anyway, um, let's see here if anybody else has anything to say. And you know what? I will uh, gladly accept people to come in and talk about these things. The problem is that when I step on people's pet doctrines, they get offended. But they probably have never even looked at it before. So they don't know. And they don't know how to defend what they're talking about. Um, You know, they get upset. They've never even considered also, he go to Peter, James, and John, right when he was resurrected, he went to Mir- Miriam of Magdala, or Mary Magdalene, who was his wife. She was the first one who saw him in his resurrect- uh, after his resurrection. Period, end of story. That's historically accurate, and that's in your Bible. So... I'm sorry that you have a problem with Jesus being married, but there's a lot of apocryphal works that talk about this as well. So anyway, but um, I would have, you know, if she had some more that she wanted to say, she can come on. Uh, anybody else can come on. His call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. And... Um, Hello. Well, we're waiting for people to come on. If they want to come on, uh, they can call in. But since we don't have anybody on and it's only seven ten, let's uh, let's listen to the Book of Pontiac, uh, which is a book that uh, I think it was received in like two thousand and twelve or two thousand six. I can't remember. Anyway, but it was received by revelation by the use of the Urim and Thummim, and uh, it's one of the books that has been restored to us in our day and age. And there's more books, um, but my two favorite are the Book of Paniel and the Book of Zobelman. So uh, I think we're going to listen to that. It's 15 minutes long, about 15 minutes long. If anybody wants to call in, like I said, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. And if anybody has a problem with the fact that Jesus was married, I suggest they go to ogdencrowd.com or to blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon and look up Jesus was married. I have read the whole book, and I've gone over it in detail actually many times, like three, I think three times over the last ten years, I guess. But, um, you know, it's one of the books that I have read um, on Fundamentally Mormon. So, and it goes into detail. And if people want to fight about Jesus being married, well, maybe they should get educated on what the actual scholarship is on the fact that Jesus was married, that he was a Hebrew Israelite, and that the rabbis would have condemned him 
for being a bachelor if he were a bachelor because that was against the rabbinical law and it was against the law of God. And in order for Jesus to keep the law perfectly, which he did, he had to get married and multiply and replenish the earth. Furthermore, in Isaiah 53, when it's talking about Jesus on the cross, which, yeah, it is talking about Jesus on the cross, you Jews that don't re- uh, that reject that. It says to look down upon his seed or his children. And it's not talking about the believers who follow him. It's talking about his children. So anyway, uh, I'll just – Kim, is there something uh, – did you have anything to say about any of this? Or are you just listening? I'm just listening tonight. Um because I still, that beeping noise, yeah, because I still have the 40 pounds, 80 pounds in the front seat of the pellets, and so, and I didn't buckle the pellets in, so. <laughs> it's still her car's beeping at her, telling her to buckle up. Yeah. Anyway, okay, well, um, Emma, did you have anything to say? Not really. Okay, well, just meet your mic, and Emma, um, play the book of Poniel. It's in the studio, so. And then, like I said, guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. And uh, if we have anybody after we after the book is over with in 15 minutes, then we'll take them on the air or we'll end the program. So, all right, everybody mute your mic. Go ahead, Emma. The Book of Poniel. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Paniel is his name. Wherefore, the sword is that of the four winds used by Moses in the destruction of those wicked Anakim who infested the land. Wherefore, this shall be the preface of his book, which shall come forth by the hand of the Almighty, and woe be unto him who shall mock this work, for it has been set forth by the hand of God. Wherefore, it is the record of Poniel as he and his people traveled or traveled from the land of Assyria northward, even unto the land of Magog. Wherefore, they are of my people Israel, and Paniel shall stand with his posterity upon Mount Zion and be counted with the gods. For such he hath entered through his faithfulness, by the grace of Christ, even Adam God, looking forward unto his son Jesus, and admonishing his own sons in righteousness, wearing the tunic of the holy priesthood, and traveling through the land of Danta. This is the word of the Lord unto thee, my son Samuel, and also Yaroslav. Be patient and sober, looking forward unto this account, which shall come forth in mine own due time, even so. Amen. The words of Poniel, or the first, uh, or first Poniel, chapter 1, verse 1. Behold, my name is Poniel, the son of Abizel, son of Beresek, son of Isaac, son of Amos the prophet, who was also the father of Isaiah the prophet. Wherefore I am compiling this record of my father, 
and also preparing the book that mine sons may write. Verse 2. And I do write it in Reformed Egyptian, as was the custom among the school of the prophets in the land of Jerusalem. Verse 3. And it being in more pure language, having been reformed back to the best of our knowledge to conform with the language of our fathers, as found upon the pillars of Enoch. Verse 4. And I, Paniel, do raise my hands and confess my sins before the gods of heaven, but I am a sinful man. Verse 5. And I, am true, I truly lament my sins, that I am cast down into the depths of humility, even before my Elohim. Verse 6. And I was a prisoner in everlasting chains, save for my faith and belief that my Savior would come, not only to me, but also to my people. Verse 7. Wherefore, I have been lifted up to see the ineffable glory of God's kingdom and the taste of his goodness and mercy. And great and powerful is my God, for he hath willed it. Chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass that I arose early in the morning and climbed Mount Medela in the land of Assyria, even unto the summit thereof. Verse 2. And there an angel of the Lord spoke with me from behind the veil, and saith, verse 3, My fellow servant, this day hath the Lord called thee up unto this place by the whisperings of his Spirit, that you might be his messenger unto the far places, even unto the wandering tribes of Israel, who hath in the past been carried off for their own good, and that of their posterity. Verse 4. Therefore, praise the Lord God of hosts, the Almighty. For thus I was sent from his presence to tell thee. Verse 5. Wherefore, being in astonishment at the words of the angel, I remained upon the mount and built an altar according to the direction found in the law and praise of the Lord as I was instructed. Verse 6. And they heard the voice of the Lord call me by name in the night, saying, Paniel, Israel hath provoked me to anger, wherefore I have led her off by the neck. And thou hast never at any time seen the land of Jerusalem, nor thy father before me, before thee. But this is according to my design, for behold, look in yonder heavens and see the stars, if thou can number them. Verse 7, Israel shall live in one house, like unto a canopy of heaven, but she shall not return into the land of Jerusalem, nor shall her sons consider it, for it is the land of death and judgment. But I shall make it, make for her a new Jerusalem, which shall be the land of life and mercy. Chapter 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord continued with me most of the night and unfolded many mysteries unto me. Verse 2. And the Lord saith, There are many heavens and many degrees. And I have made mine elect children a degree above the angels in authority. Verse 3. 
Wherefore, call them forth with mine ineffable name, and according to the signs and patterns of the priesthood, and surely they will obey thee. Verse 4. Now I, Paniel, said, O Lord, mine Father in heaven, shall I live to see the erection of the holy, thy holy temple, whereby I may fully be endowed, and my children also? And the Lord said, saith, verse 5, Thou shalt receive thine endowments upon the mountain tops, if ye remain steadfast in my law, ye shall even have a blessing at mine hand. Verse 6, For ye must have faith not only in the coming of mine Son to the people, but also in mine coming unto thee to redeem thee. Verse 7, And this is the temple of God. And I, Paniel, looked, and behold, the vision was opened up before mine eyes, and I shall recount it. Chapter 4, verse 1. I saw a court full of the beings of light. The walls thereof seemed to be made of bright gold, and the height thereof exceedingly great. Verse 2. Also the ground seemed to be made of precious stones, and these beings were continually singing praises unto the Lord of glory. Verse 3. And the voice of the Lord saith, This is the court of the priests of Aaron, who are eunuchs before me. Therefore, come forth and see greater hidden things. Verse 4. Behold, I was then brought to the gate between the two pillars, which are keywords and signs. And the angel with me gave three knocks upon the right one. Verse 5. And the guardian of the door saith, All ye Aaronic priests have heard the ringing of the keyword, and do ye have the report before the Lord? Verse 6. And I heard one say, he is a just man, and passeth the ordinances of our order, and can have half the key, but the other half has not been revealed. Verse 7. The guardian then saith, he shall receive it. And a token and a key were administered. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now it came to pass that he looked upon the left, and a key was given. And he looked upon the gate, and a key was given. And the Spirit ushered me through into the holy place. Verse 2. And now I, Paniel, did perceive that this was indeed the heavenly temple from which the Lord of hosts did send forth his decrees. Verse 3. For behold, when the gate did open, the light was so brilliant that it made all else look as darkness and it was only opened but a small portion. Verse 4. And I was taken down this hall of light until I came to a grand council room with many other rooms pertaining to the ordinances of the house of the Lord. Verse 5. Wherefore I saw the altar of incense, where upon the prayers of the saints are continually ascending up through the bell to the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, And I saw many brethren in the robes of the priesthood, but I did also notice that there were many more women than men. Verse 7, And that the women were worshipping under veils of many different colors, 
singing in tongues and praising the Lord of glory. Chapter 6, verse 1. Wherefore I raised up my hands, wherefore I raised my hands up and prayed, saying, O Father, that I could only be counted worthy to be among these here praising thy name forever. Verse 2. And the voice of the Lord saith, Thou knowest not what thou sayest. For behold, there is a level more glorious and powerful than this. Verse 3. For this place which thou hast entered is the Melchizedek level, but thou shalt be permitted, if faithful, to see the patriarchal level, which is full of the mysteries of the Elohim. Verse 4. And the angels are not permitted to see it, because they have made limitations in their minds, attempting to bind me, the Lord of hosts, down from eternal progression, for they know me not. Verse 5. Now I was permitted to see the veil of the temple, and how the signs thereof shone with light and glory, and did make such an impression upon my mind that I cannot forget them. And I know all truth is one, and that the left arm of the law leads to eternal glory. Verse 6. And the vision was ended, and I and said I, Cursed is he that attempteth to bind the Lord, for he doth not know the God which he doth worship. And spiritually minded, and the spiritually minded shall inherit eternal life. Verse 7. For what profiteth the judgment and mercy of the two priesthoods if they have not the honor of searching out knowledge and wisdom on all matters? For this is the honor of kings, to know and exercise truth, which is the honor and the fullness of the priesthood, even that patriarchal priesthood of the Father, which the angels have shut out from their own minds. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now do I know my now do I know mine Savior shall come to me personally if I press forward without wavering. Verse two. Even the Son of Jehovah, even or he who is in the Garden of Eden, shall come and anoint me if I am faithful. And also the Son of the Son of Jehovah shall come to my people of the lost tribes of Israel. Of this I bear a particular testimony. Verse 3. And oh, what ecstasy doth fill me with, doth, or this doth fill me with, to know that God ruleth in the heavens with the scepter of power, and that the King of glory is mindful of me. Verse 4. Who am simply a sinful outcast of Israel, whose fathers have paid tribute to the Assyrian kings as serfs upon the land. Verse 5, And I, just a lowly shepherd who walk up in a mountaintop and exercise the faith in the God of my fathers, am shown these things. Oh, what a merciful God is the God of Israel. Verse 6, And now I will compile unto this book a more particular account of my fathers, of how my fathers came to this place, and how some of my people have rebelled against Assyria, calling themselves the sons of Isaac, verse 7, 
and how they have migrated into the east and have wandered from time to time with the Medes, and how they are wander a wandering people going to and fro in the earth, and how some have also gone into the northern countries. Thus I end mine own story for a time. And that is the book of Poniel. Okay. Are you there? Am I? Oh, yeah, I'm here. I was muted. What's that? Yeah, I'm here. I was muted. Oh, okay. It's kind of hard to hear you. Oh, sorry. My head's turned all the way up, so. Okay, well, we do have a caller. And I will bring them into the call screening room just for a minute and see if they want to come on the air with any questions or comments. So just hold on. I just saw them. I just pulled over here. So hold on. Um, I'm pushing the button. Hello? So how's it going, Hello. Okay, uh, this is Maria, and uh, don't give her your last name, but um, hold on here. Okay, uh, but where are you calling from? Sacramento. Oh, okay, Sacramento. We're in Emory County, Utah, uh, ourselves. Uh, now, you were talking about how I'm silly for believing that Jesus was married. So I will let you present what it is that you wanted to say. Did you hear what I said about it, uh, I don't know, 20 minutes ago on the program? Uh, no, I wasn't on the tw program 20 minutes ago. Okay. All right. Uh, go ahead and, and uh, just say what you want to say, and then I'll, you know, say what I got to say, and then people can make their main minds up if they want. <laughs> but thank you for calling in, by the way. Yeah, thanks. Uh, there's some Gospels that are not at all accepted by the church or, or you know, they're, they're totally nonsense. There's some Gospels like the Gospel of Thomas that pretend that Jesus has a twin brother. And, I mean, none of these things are accepted. And so to say that Jesus was married is to accept Gospels that were not accepted at the time and to pretend that they're like the same level that we would accept the truth of the Bible. The Bible does not say Jesus was married. Even in the three years that the people who wrote about him knew him, there's no presentation that he was married to anyone or had any children. Okay. Well, 
that's true. But did you know that the earliest manuscripts of the Bible uh, never stated that women should remain silent in the churches, and it wasn't until about 300, three to 400 years after Christ that that was added into the Bible and that things have been added and taken out of the Bible and that we have many books which are mentioned and epistles that are mentioned in the Bible that are no longer in the Bible. That's cute. That has nothing to do with the fact that Jesus was not married. It does it's totally we don't have those books and we don't have the ministry of Jesus after his 40-day ministry, so what else are we missing? The fact of the matter is the rabbinical Jews of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they, in their laws, um, you know, they had to be married. And they were Jesus the was neither Jesus. a... And if a Jesus, Jesus was, was neither a Pharisee nor a Sadducee. Well, he was a rabbi, and... He was more close to the Pharisees than he was the Sadducees, but um, Rab, uh, Nicodemus called him a rabbi. So did other uh, others, and Paul called him a uh, high priest. Yeah, that means he was a teacher. Rabbi just means teacher, and high priest in the order of Melchizedek, meaning specifically that he was not a rabbi, not a Pharisee, not a teacher in the not a high priest, not nothing official in their offices, meaning mm-hmm. that he was a high priest forever, nothing to do with all of that. Okay, so you're talking about a high priest in the heavenly court. However, in the law, um, part of fulfilling the law is getting married and having children, multiplying and replenishing the earth. And Jesus kept the no, law. He no, fulfilled the Torah. no, there is no law. He fulfilled the Torah. He, there is. It is the actual first law that the, the Adam and Eve were given by Jehovah in the garden, which was to multiply and replenish the earth. And it talks about those things in the Torah as well. And Jesus No, there is definitely God's nothing in the Torah perfectly. that says you must get married. No. No. There's no, The Essenes didn't get married, and they were... Oh, I'm that glad you line. brought that up. The Essenes, when the Romans built the ramp to go up on Masada, found men, women, and children who had committed suicide on top of Masada. So how is it that you can yes. say that the Essenes were celibate when they had children and wives up there with them? So some did have children, but there was a sect of the Essenes that focused on purity. That's why the Essenes died out. Well, the Essenes died out because they were massacred by the Romans. Also because they didn't have children. That's, that's a big drawback to continuing on a line. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, well, taking it for what you're saying, if there was no law, the fact of the matter is the rabbis did have a law. And anyone who he was, was not, not married... Pharisee. It doesn't matter. He was still part of the Jewish synagogues, and he was teaching as a rabbi among the people, and they would have accused him for he not being not married. Part of the Jewish synagogue. He what would Jewish teach synagogue in the, was he part of? He taught in the synagogue multiple times in Scripture. They Anybody could teach in the Jewish synagogue. 
They would just stand up and teach. If they were Jewish, they could teach. Mm, Okay. Well, um, the rabbis did not call him out on being a bachelor, which they would have done. Because to be a bachelor in that age was to be uh, pretty much close to murder because what they, how they looked at it was if you did not have children, your children would not have children, and generations of children would not be born if you stayed celibate. So they looked at it as a great moral sin to remain single and a bachelor, and Jesus was never called out for not being married. Based on whom? You're you're making an argument from silence just because no I'm one said anything. I'm making an argument from cultural history of the Jews. Okay, culturally <laughs> history to di- continues to this day. There are lots of Jews mm-hmm. that are celibate. Okay, well I don't know any. Every Jew that I've uh, come in contact with has been married, but it doesn't matter. Well, apparently matter. you don't know very any, many Jews. I do know very many Jews. I am from Jewish descendants. My grandmother was a Jew, and I've been to synagogue, and I know Rabbi, um, I know a bunch. But it doesn't matter. In the in the New Testament, in the New Testament, it is said that they will abstain from marriage, and that was like a blasphemy or like a a horrible sin that they would do that. What verse? Also, what what are you talking I'm about? What verse? Kim, do you wanna? I don't have it. I'm driving a semi truck right now, <laughs> but but it's there. I can tell you about it. You can go look it up for yourself. It's not that hard. And anybody in the listening audience can go look it up. You know, well, I'm and Jewish, also, and I've read every the, rabbi there is. There, that's not in there. Oh, you've read the Talmud. That's sure. an impressive feat. That is an impressive feat. You've read how many books are there? Volumes, twenty-eight volumes. You've read all of I haven't read it cover to cover, but I've read it, sure. Oh, I've read in it, too. It doesn't mean I've read it all. Okay, so you can't back anything. You've read the Torah. Sure, of course. Okay. You you can't come up with anything to back your claim? This is another argument from silence. No, I can come up with it. I I told you that it's in the New Testament, the epistles of Paul. Furthermore... In the epistles of Paul, the offices of the church, deacon and bishop, have to be married. So why why would they have to be married if, if the high priest of, of Israel didn't have to be married? The high priest did have to be married. He, Jesus wasn't the high priest of Israel. But golly, do you know was. history? I do know history. And Caiaphas was a pagan. He wasn't a high priest. He People claimed to be a high priest, but they found his... They found his tomb, and he had pagan coins in his in his Of course, Rome put him in power. Do you not understand okay. what, what power Rome well, had? Who was the high priest? If God wanted a high priest in Israel, why wouldn't he have called his son to be the high priest? Because he didn't want to continue the Jewish system. They were wrong on so many points that's the whole rabbinical law they added tons of stuff to the rabbinical law i know and part of it was that you had to be married but that's also in torah then produce it you can't produce it because it's not i can produce it it's in bereshit in the first book of the bible in genesis 
it talks about uh, where God commanded Adam and Eve to plant after don't touch the fruit of the tree. It's the first commandment that they are given after the fall. Yeah, you know what caused the fall? Is worshiping gods who aren't like trying to pretend you're God. You can't, you can't try, you can't want to be God. That's against all of your teachings. That's what caused the fall. So when Jesus said that he was the son of God, he was actually the son of God. Okay, so he was a God, but so was the father. He's Yahweh. That's what he said. I'm Yahweh. No, he didn't. He said he is the angel of Yehovah. Yahweh is the word that the Samaritans used after they came into the land after the Jews were taken away into Babylon. No. Jesus says before Moses was, I am. That's the word Yahweh. I am. Okay. Wow. Well, actually, um, do you know who Nehemiah Gordon is? Sure. Okay. And you don't accept any of his theological scholarship in finding Jehovah and the bell markings for Jehovah all over the place in over 3,000 manuscripts to this point? No. Anyone who uses the word Jehovah is all of a sudden wrong. The word is Yahweh. And the person who translated it, Jehovah, added vowels that were meant to translate Adonai. So they put in the vowels when people presented inside of synagogue to never say the word Yahweh because it was forbidden or they can, Jews considered it forbidden. And whoever translated that thought that the vowels that went with Adonai belonged in, in Yahweh and it translated it Jehovah. That's totally wrong. Whoever did that so didn't know anything about Jewish culture. Times in the different codexes, are you saying, oh, okay, I'm just not, I don't even know how to get, go through anything. But so when Jesus Christ told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And three days later, he first appears to Miriam or Mary, his wife. He said, I have not yet ascended to my father. So how is it that Yeshua, or Jesus, is the father when he said that I have not yet ascended to my father? Furthermore, in Revelations, it says Jesus Christ hath made his kings and priests unto God and his father. Jesus Christ is not the father in the sense that we have a father who is Jehovah, who is above him, who is our Elohim. But he is not the father. He said, I have not yet been to the father. How could he be the father if he, if he said, I've not yet been to the father? And the first He's person not he talks the father. to is Miriam. He, he talks to his mother, Mary. He Mary Magdalene to, was the one that went to the garden tomb, and she was the first person to see him resurrected. It wasn't the apostle. Okay, so... So Mary Magdalene has no mention that he's his wife. She's his wife. That's absurd. She's a prostitute. Oh, that is a lie straight from Catholicism? Don't you know that Catholicism hijacked the church? The Roman church hijacked the uh, Hebrew Christian church? And that they perverted the gospel? They perverted the epistles? 
Yeah, I know that your group tried 1,800 years later to usurp this idea. It's it's not it's totally it's, unfounded. It is not. It is not. It is not unfounded. Furthermore, in the epistles, it says that there will come a time of the restitution of all things. Also, it talks about prophets in the book of Revelations, chapter 11, coming on the earth. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that there will be um, the offices of apostles and prophets until all come in the unity of the faith. So if God chooses to send a prophet to restore and correct the perversion of, of uh, Catholicism and all of her harlots, the Protestant uh, churches, then I don't see why so many people have a problem with that. There are true prophets, but you don't have them among yeah. your groups. Are you kidding me? I've prophesied. I don't know. Kim, do you have anything to say about this? I don't know which groups that we're referring to. Protestants, I would suppose. What group do you belong to? Protestants. Oh, so you you suppose that's what you belong to? No, I suppose that's what we're talking about. Oh, okay. I was just curious what group you did belong to. So it is Protestants is what you belong to, right? No, she's yes. a Protestant. So we're in a we're in a, a group called uh, what is it? Abrahamic. I can't remember what it's called right now. Anyway, I've been posting there for a while, and she's in the group, and she thinks that it's ridiculous that I believe that Jesus was a married rabbi. Um, you know, there's there's a lot more. I mean, I've gone over this uh, stuff in the past, reading Jesus was married by Ogden Kraut, where he goes over details of why Jesus was married, how he was the one who was in charge of the wedding feast and the wine, which only the groom would be in charge of as the bridegroom. Um, and no, he's the one that it would be the, water the family. Wine. But Jesus According was asked by his mother. What's that? Um, so he would not be in charge of that because why? Were you saying? Yeah, why? No, you. Why, why were was, you saying well, that he would not okay, be in Jesus, charge of it? He's the I one that. I know his why he would be. Uh, theoretically, yeah, and uh, I know why he would be because um, if you look at history, it would have been his um, job to be after the food and the wine. But I was wondering why you believed it was not, or it would not have been, that they would have just asked some random person. Why no, I think he was a family member, attending? but. Oh, so they went up and said, "Hey, member. uncle." Uncle Jesus, then you should, you know, do something about this because we're missing that. Is what you're saying? That makes he more was sense either a you. close friend or a family member. Family member. So they would go to their friend and they would have said, even though all the laws of the Jews are very strict. All of the laws of the Jews are very strict, as you know, because you have read all of the everything apparently. So um, you would think that it makes more sense that they would come up to a random family member who is not married nor ever going to be married. Not in charge or of. Not in charge of anything, but they would come and ask him to do it. 
That's what you think. What's your evidence what that saying? they asked him? His mother What's your asked evidence him and that, said, that makes any sense? That doesn't make sense. His mother wouldn't have been in charge you're, of anything you, if it wasn't, you know, and they came to her and told her that they were running out of wine. And she went to Jesus and said, we're running out of wine. That's your evidence that she was in charge. It's in the gospel. What's your e- it's in the gospel. Okay, it doesn't hold on say one second. anything I, I about her being in charge. I understand what you're saying. You're saying, why would she be in charge? We're asking you the same thing. Why would they ask her to do that if she was not in charge? They don't just go and randomly ask some random person who is at their wedding to do that. The person who is in charge, uh, according to custom and history of Jewish law, that is who is in charge of that specific thing. But you are saying that it's more believable that they just randomly went up to his mother and were like, hey, Aunt uh, Miriam, could you please come over and and fix this problem that we're having at our wedding? Uh, Which doesn't make any sense. Do you know what I'm saying? There's no evidence that... That's There's the evidence. no evidence that she. That, that is the evidence. There's no the evidence is they would not me, do that. That's ridiculous. This is a pet dog. There's no the evidence. Have. Good golly! They don't Can like you let it when Jesus. They don't like it when Jesus is married, because the Catholicism of pagan Rome hijacked early Christianity and turned it into their perversion, not into Hebrew Israelite tradition. Christianity There's no and your evidence that she was comes from in charge. There's no evidence that she was in charge of anything. She knew a pro- right. about a That's problem. That's what you're saying. She knew, yeah. let me finish, she knew her son could solve the problem, and he said to her, woman, why are you coming to me with this? In other words, that was it's not first, my problem. That was his first miracle. How would she know that he it's, was able to do that if he had not yet committed any miracles? Are you kidding me? You think that Mary didn't know what her son could do? That was his first miracle. There was no evidence that he had miracles before that, and it says it was the first miracle. So why would she think that she could go to her son, who was not in charge of anything, and produce more wine out of water? Because she knew he was the Messiah. Because she knew he was the Messiah. Also... Also, back to the same question that you're asking, why would they have gone to her? Why would anybody have gone to her herself, let alone her son? Why do you think she went to, they went to her? There's no evidence that they went to her. She just knew about a problem and wanted to fix it. So she showed up to a wedding, knew there was a problem, and then made it her son's problem, is what <laughs> yes. you're saying. and he says... And he says, woman, why is this my problem? It's not my problem. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? I guess if you um, want to do them, that gymnastic kind of backflip well, to figure out the way that Christians you want it to make do. sense. Hold on. So what do you think? This no was place. his marriage? Yes, it, absolutely it was his marriage. There's no reason <laughs> for it to be. There's no reason for it to be in. Right. Also, like I said before, I'm going back to rabbinical law. The Jews had their customs and their traditions, and every time Jesus stepped out of line of what they were what they were trying to get him to do, they pointed at him and scoffed at him and said how horrible he was for allowing his his disciples to thresh wheat by you know 
plucking wheat into their mouth or walking too far on the Sabbath day or healing on the Sabbath day. Well, the fact of the matter is they had it in their law that if you were a bachelor, that was close to murder because you were not Name providing it. generations Name of children. Law. It's in the Torah. That was Where? the rabbinical. Well, they said it was in the rabbinical law. But they did Where? not condemn him for not being married. They never condemned him for not being married. That's because it's not in rabbinical law. You're making this up. I have given you a link to where you can go and read a book, which I have provided for you. Oh, my gosh. Which documents all of these things. And it's I know. Just, Sometimes it's hard to is read. so horrible that I, I know your on it and you don't like it. My occult teachings, what cult teachings? What, what cult are you talking Your about? Your cult the came of, up with this theory the cult, 1800 the cult of years Luther, later. The cult of John Calvin, the cult of all of the Protestant ministers that, that came out of the Reformation, or the cult of Catholicism, because they're all cults. None of those people none of them have nonsense. None Name of them have Luther's prophets. Quote. Name none of them Luther's have prophets. Quote. You can go in the book that I gave you. You are a false But you didn't prophet. name a book. You named some cult nephi prophet it nonsense. in the book. The quotes and the citations are in the book that I have provided for you to, to, uh, to research. It's all oh in Oh, my gosh. Nephi is you don't a like nonsense reading? prophet. It should no, not be that I hard don't to like go read reading if you cult. have read all of the Talmud and everything that you're saying you have read. And it wouldn't be that difficult. That's to because Nessie is, is, but you know, Nessie is, is not a prophet. No, she you don't says, have to. You can only lead them to it. You can't, like, make them read. Like, if she doesn't want to know anymore and she wants it to fit her own narrative, then I guess she won't read it. I mean, that's well, not Well, she you. told me that she had read all of, uh, of the Talmud, which when I questioned her about the 28 volumes, which are larger than the Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh, my gosh. Oh, are you going to pretend you've read, read those I've read it. I, I'm not the one that said that um, I've read it all. You're the one who said you, you did. <laughs> That's what he's saying. You're the one I who said, said you're the one that doesn't. No, I clarified. I said that I've not read it cover to cover. There is after nothing in I, there that says what you're saying. After I, how do you know because if you haven't read, read it? it. <laughs> You've read it all, but then when I question you, you say, well, I haven't read it cover to cover, but I've read in it. Have well, you read, read it, it cover to cover? No, have I have not, but I have read then more than you, obviously, or I've read in different positions. Nobody's I've read different parts. I've read different this parts. Not, this is not about pretending who's winning anything or anybody's superior. This is called, this is like what a normal debate would be like. If somebody brings forth information and you truly want to know what they're saying, then you read the information. But if you can't bother you to haven't do that, and then, any and then you try to say, I have he already gave you the link. The, the link where you, you can go and Nessie read it. You brought me some Nephi quote. Whoever Nephi oh is, that's not a prophet. No, that really? Nephi in the Book of Mormon. I haven't talked oh about gosh. Nephi. If you, know, you don't even know who Nephi is. You don't know how to pronounce his name. No, it's nonsense. Okay. He's no prophet. He came nonsense. up with something 1,800 years later that back, 
black Nephi couldn't be in the, the time of the Babylonian captivity, and and his father was Lehi, and he was a prophet, same as Jeremiah, That's and his home nonsense. has been found. His, According to you, his home has been found. Bet Lehi, look it up on YouTube. The archaeological discovery of his home has been found. And furthermore, yeah. so, in, Zach, in Ezekiel chapter 37, it says that there will be a book of Judah and a book of Joseph. Well, if the Jews have the book of Judah, where's the book of Joseph, Protestant? Where is it? It's called the so book of Mormon. So you don't have Mormon. it either. I no, have it. No, no, that is definitely it. not and the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 49 states when Jacob or Yaakov gave his blessing to his son Yosef, he said his posterity would be in the utmost bounds of the everlasting hills, which is a geological indication of where those people would be going to. And there is no place on the earth other than North America where the hills of the everlasting hills that Jacob saw in vision start at South America and they go all the way to the tip of North America. That's the geological There is no location. archaeological evidence. There, there is, is no archaeological evidence that Jews were present in the North America or South America before the Europeans came here. Yes, there is. Then produce there's, it. Pr- there, there's a lot of evidence. The, the, um, the, the Lost Luna Stone. The basis down of her, in, her hold understanding. On, hold on. Okay. She doesn't, she doesn't know about these things, and she says because she doesn't know about these things right. that they don't That's exist. That's what I was trying and to I'm say. And I'm going to tell her that in Lost Lunas, New Mexico, the Ten Commandments were written in Paleo Hebrew in a cliff wall, and that is archaeological evidence. There's also the, the um, there was a stone, I can't remember what it was called, but it was found oh in gosh. Tennessee. It was found in Tennessee, and they had it in the Smithsonian, and an individual saw the stone on the, uh, the director of the Smithsonian's office desk, and he said, why is that upside down? And he said, this is a language we don't know. And he said, it's Paleo-Hebrew, and it says under Judah. That was found in Tennessee. Also, the copper mines which were the ancient copper mines up in Michigan, and the Michigan tablet stones were full of writings of Hebrew uh, origin. And the the DNA of copper, the DNA of copper, which was uh, can be traced to the Bronze Age in Europe before Christopher Columbus discovered America, that is all over Europe in the bronze swords of the Bronze Age way before Christopher Columbus. The but there's no DNA evidence that any of these people were Jewish. There is DNA evidence. The people of Iro- the Iroquois Nation, the Seneca Nation of upstate, uh, the, the upstate area of New York and, and North America, they have haplogroup X DNA, which comes from Israel. They no, are the, from the, Israel. They are from no. Israel. The DNA evidence no, the is there. The tribes that are from Israel it. have been recognized by Israel. Israel has not recognized that because it's wrong. Oh, it is? The DNA Israel? evidence is wrong because they don't like it, not because it's not no. true. It is there. Yeah, no, Israel has, recognized, has found. Israel has yes. recognized the tribe of Manasseh in, in um, India. So why would they have a problem with recognizing tribes in North America? 
because it proves the Book of Mormon true, and the Book of Mormon is the second witness of Jesus Christ. And our God said that uh, it is by the mouth of two or three witnesses that every word is established. And in Ezekiel 37, he said that there would be a stick of Judah and a stick of Joseph, and that the record of the tribe of Joseph and of the tribe of Judah would be one in his hand. Well, you have the stick of Judah, which is the Bible, so it's but a you great do not have the stick of Joseph. It's not it's it is because you. they don't That's want you is. to believe the Mormon church oh, is correct. Course, they don't want you to course. believe that Joseph Smith is correct. And there is plenty of is evidence Israel once sure you take the blinders Jews. off. <laughs> Israel hates Jesus. Oh my they hate gosh, Jesus. And absurd. the Book of Mormon... The Book of Mormon is the second witness of Jesus Christ. If they accept that the tribes of Nephi and, and the Lamanites were of or, uh, Hebrew origin or Jewish, Jewish origin or Manasseh or whatever, they would have to accept that, yeah, there was a tribe that accepted Jesus Christ in this continent in North America. Also, Jesus oh Christ gosh. said other sheep. Jesus Christ said other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also must I bring, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. He said that during the last week of his well, life, you're and he never went to sheep. anybody. He never went to anybody but the house of Judah. So why is it that Jesus said that there were other sheep? Yeah, I'm fine. He said that there was other sheep of this, uh, not of this fold, them also must I teach. Who did he teach? Because the record he's of him saying there's more other Christians people? out there. That he he's sent not saying the disciples one. to go to. He sent the disciples to go to, and it's not he Mormon. He didn't send the disciples to North America. That's the He didn't. He went to North America after his resurrection, and he appeared to the tribe no in North America. There is evidence. I have given you the lost Luna stone, the stone that was found, the Bat Creek stone, also thousands, tens of thousands of stones, uh, the Michigan tablet stones, also the evidence that in uh, the ancient mines, of uh, Michigan and Wisconsin, the copper mines, that that DNA from that copper, which they can trace, is found all what, what's over DNA Europe. From copper? I, I don't even they understand what's trace, DNA. They can tra- Tyson, well, she doesn't understand because she doesn't do that kind of research. She should get she only registered. Right, but she is There's educated in her own narrative. with DNA. So, no, they're they not. Trace, oh, my God. They can, trace, they can trace the mineral makeup of copper. And they know where it comes from. It's the same as like uranium. They know where uranium comes from because it gives off a certain signature. The copper. So people brought the copper co- to North America. So what? No, 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 no. They mined it in North America, and they found the copper in the stone or in the the metalwork of the Bronze Age, which was uh, something that like they used the copper and the tin to make bronze in Europe, and it's found all over Europe. And Let me clarify, when I'm talking about Columbus. DNA evidence, I'm talking about human DNA evidence. Like when I I'm run my about DNA, evidence. no, let me finish. When I run my DNA, it says that I am from the Levant. That means I can trace my roots there. It's super easy. We can do DNA on everyone, even dead bodies. 
There's no DNA evidence that well, any of these people are from the Levant. You can do DNA from, uh, on evidence, but it, over time it, it uh, deteriorates. And um, <laughs> the mitochondrial DNA actually re- – the mi- well, because you don't know what you you're talking about. Of course, you have trouble producing your. You need. Of course, you have trouble producing your evidence. Volume. That's not what he's saying. You, evidence. It's so hard to. It's like now, let me get back to the copper. Let me get back to the copper. The Who copper cares about the mine. copper? I care because you say that there was no that, that there was no um, there was no evidence of people coming to North America before Christopher Human Columbus. Human DNA evidence. Human DNA, not not copper DNA, whatever that is. That people came to North America to mine the copper mines in Michigan and Wisconsin, and the DNA from the copper because they can trace it. It's just a word I'm using to try to help you understand. The copper that they mined out of that mine was made into bronze in Europe way before. Uh, during the Bronze Age, back in the 600s, that, you know, the six, seven, eight hundreds, that there was evidence of people coming here. Furthermore, in Memphis, Tennessee, and Cairo, Illinois, the reason they call it that is because they found Egyptian um, archaeological evidence that Egypt was in North America. That there is a Jews lot more. Jews hated the Egyptians. A lot, what? Jews oh, hated the Egyptians because There's she doesn't no understand reason. the argument. Why would they, they have temples? Why would they yeah. have temples in Egypt? And why would Jesus be sent to Egypt to escape the? Because he was fleeing a murderer. Oh, he couldn't have gone anywhere else. There were Jewish settlements in Egypt. There were Jewish settlements so he in went, Egypt. So he went to Egypt to run away from a murderer. That's not surprising. Oh, oh he went to the people he hated. There were Jewish settlements Jews. in Egypt. What so I'm trying to name any other settlement that's anywhere in the world where Jews wrote in Egyptian hieroglyphics. That's silly count. Just because you don't know the evidence doesn't mean it doesn't yeah, exist. Uh, well, not just that. Not Jewish history. Not just Apple that, but she's not X. interested in the evidence. She wants it to she say exactly to. what she wants it to say, and she wants the evidence I know. to, say, I stepped to on. be exactly the kind I of evidence she is looking for. I need your indoctrination. Help me with your mouth indoctrination. That's what I'm looking for. Oh, of course. You're going to you're gonna call it. You're going to call it a cult because you don't like it, so you're going to name call. Yeah, and she doesn't have anything else And I'm going to say apostate Christianity has no profit. Oh, I am? I'm a cult? Yes, Mormons are cults. They a have Mormon. a strong leader what is, who you have to follow. They all believe the same thing. They no, all they believe this doctrine that was presented by a demon. Christianity is a cult, then. Oh, you're my not, gosh, You don't even course. know what you're talking about. Okay. They are all, there are many different Mormons. There are many different um, sects of them. There are many different Although ones. we believe and, Joseph Smith was a true prophet, also, so we're all a cult. And then and we don't belong you guys to the Mormon church, by the way. To be Jewish we do not belong tribe to the Mormon church. Because your we, cult leaders tell you you're Jewish tribes, which is I don't such have a cult nonsense. Leader, so the other thing is you're, <laughs> you're absolutely trying to refute history also, like um, the Smithsonian. You haven't any presented history. any history. Because you don't, I have presented more than enough, but you don't want that. You don't want to look it up for yourself. Right. You don't want to look it up for yourself. I've given you a lot. 
Where is there, the evidence that I Israel have told has you, accepted you can get on Rabbi Google the DNA and go find it. evidence? No, you present proper DNA. Wait, Apple's wait a minute, Mark. X one second. One second. Here, Iroquois and Seneca Indians <laughs> in North America. One they second. Not hold on. DNA evidence Europe. of a tribe of Israel. Yes, there is. It's just a circle because she's not listening to what you're saying. She's saying what she wants to say. And then she's not hearing what you're – so she's asking a specific question. You're answering the specific question. And then by the time she gets upset because she doesn't want to listen to the answer, then she tries to go into a whole new thing, which is how you got back onto Egypt. And, and then we talked about the copper, and, and you talked about the DNA or the footprint of that and how it gets there. She doesn't want to hear that. And she the lost stone and the back creek stones and right. the Michigan so, tablets, which there's 10,000 right. of. Right. You know, there's so, a lot she of evidence. doesn't know about that, so it's not her. pertinent to her. You have to find some way that it relates to and what she would comprehend Jesus or understand. Other sheep that I have, which are not of this fold, them also must I bring. And he said that right before he was murdered on the cross. Well, who did he go to? Well, we know who he went to. It's in the Book it's of Mormon. He was looking at his feet also. What? Oh, yeah. And, it and also Isaiah said he was looking at his feet. That's in yep. Isaiah 53. And they were looking at anyway, him, right? I but am she doesn't want to hear that, that Maria, kind of. I am glad that Maria called in. I am happy to argue with her any time. I will try to find some of the evidence when I have time and post it, but I don't have time now. The program, uh, the live streaming portion of the program was also over nine minutes ago. Also, make it short so ago. she can read it. Well, she probably won't even look at it because she is the authority who's read the Talmud from cover to cover until I questioned her on the 28th volume. And then she says, oh, I haven't read it cover to cover. Well, I've read it, and I've re- I haven't read it cover to cover either, but I've read different parts than she has read, obviously. And I have presented to her information uh, called, uh, you know, Jesus was married by Ogden Crowd, gives citations. Or anybody can go look at augustcrout.com. Called in. I love it when people call in, and people hear what I, what evidence I did give, whether she wants to see it or not. Uh, people can go and they can look up what I've talked about: the lost Luna stone, the Michigan ba- uh, Michigan tablet stones, the Tennessee Bat Creek stones, which said under Judah and Paleo Hebrew, which was the Hebrew that they used before the Babylonian captivity. So. Anyway, thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm going up the mine road. Um, Emmett, can you play the, the end of music, and then we'll be back on tomorrow with another episode of Fundamentally Mormon. Thank you for listening. Go ahead, Emmett. Okay.